MSW Media. Two days ago, Attorney General Bill Barr released a four-page letter summarizing what he claimed were the principal conclusions of the Mueller report. Among other things, Barr said that Mueller had concluded there was not sufficient evidence to prove that the Trump campaign conspired with the Russian government. Barr also said that Mueller did not conclude, one way or another, whether Trump obstructed justice. But Barr himself concluded that Trump had not done so. Mueller's report is still not publicly available, and there may be a fight ahead over disclosure. So when will we see the Mueller report? And what key questions still remain unanswered? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, a WGN radio host who will join us regularly on this podcast. And someone who's just genuinely uh, interested in what the hell's going on. That's, I think that's <laughs> probably how we should uh, introduce me from now on. I love that. This is that. fascinating. It is fascinating. I will tell you, though, the exuberance that you show is not entirely. I suspect that the the feeling that many of the listeners, uh, uh, you know, of our podcast have. In other words, there's a lot of people out there who I think have, you know, felt disappointed and deflated. But my hope is that none of them were people who are religiously uh, listening to this podcast because we try to keep things, I think, pretty grounded here. We've been talking a lot, particularly over the last several weeks about how there had been a lot of, I'd say, runaway analysis out there uh, uh, and expectations about this. And I, I, it's my hope that people understood that this was very much within the realm of results that we could expect from uh, Special Counsel Mueller. And when you say that they're deflated, I think there were mm -hmm. a lot of people who were pinning their hopes on this being an incredible exposition of mm -hmm. here's how crooked your president is, he's a traitor, all those things. <coughs> but you've always said all along, one, <coughs> Mueller will make a decision based on whether or not he can prosecute and get a, get a conviction. Like that's the bar that he, well, that he had to be able to to surmount. But the other thing is you've always also you know pointed out there are other investigations going on not that you should pin your hopes on those either but there are a lot of moving parts here there are and i, I would say though that you know to the to go to the first point you make what prosecutors do they're not priests they're not they're not uh, uh god or an angel or something their, their job is not to be a moral arbiter or necessarily to, to say whether somebody had you know, potentially done something wrong or maybe did something wrong or even whether most people on the street would think that they did something wrong. The question is, in a court of law, could you prove that beyond a reasonable doubt? And if you can't meet that standard, Justice Department prosecutors are not supposed to bring charges, period. And, and you can believe that in a case like this, Robert Mueller was going to be careful and precise. And I think what we saw here was a measure of caution that even I had not anticipated. In other words, one thing that I had tried to tell folks from the beginning is that Robert Mueller 
was going to be a careful, cautious man. You know, I, I, I think, you know, many months ago now, I wrote a piece saying that you, there wouldn't be a proof of a grand conspiracy because that's not consistent with what prosecutors do. It's not consistent with his approach. What I was surprised by um, is that, you know, he didn't tackle even the issue of, of obstruction of justice and reach what, what, what Barr called a traditional prosecutorial decision. And I will just say, when I was a prosecutor, that was, you know, I never had that come up. In other words, you know, I was a federal prosecutor for almost a decade. And when I had a case in front of me, I had to either decide, was I going to prosecute or not? I didn't have like a third option, like where I just shrugged, right? And, and you know, and, and went to somebody else. And sure, I would discuss it with people. Was There were certainly times where I got a lot of input from others and help from others. But um, I never failed to come to a decision. Here, I think there was this, a sense of extreme humility um, and um, a feeling by uh, Robert Mueller that the weight of this decision as to whether to prosecute or, or I shouldn't say prosecute in this case, but to conclude that the president of the United States had committed a crime was a lot to place on the shoulders of any one person, and he did not want to bear the weight of that himself. Okay, leaning into some of the hopes that people have out there, is there any possibility that Robert Mueller withheld some of the information or evidence in this investigation in his report in order to protect it for other investigations that are ongoing? Withhold it from like from bar so that they don't know what it is that they have and might have in the future. Okay, so let me make a cookie. There's there's a lot of different <laughs> concepts there. Okay. I do not think anything is being withheld okay. from Attorney General Barr. In other words, he is the Attorney General, and he oversees the entire Justice Department. Uh -huh. And if there are other investigations, they are being um, they are being uh, handled by federal prosecutors who ultimately are reporting up to various people who report up to the attorney general. So okay. I don't believe that Mr. Barr uh, is unaware of anything that's going on. I don't think that uh, Robert Mueller was trying to hide anything. Now, it may be that his report, and I think it's very likely that his report does not cover matters that, for example, are in the Southern District of New York investigation uh, or in other uh, investigations. And yes, there are state prosecutions, but I do not believe that Mueller thought that his principal conclusions uh, in this report would, were likely to be altered by one of these other investigations. And if, that, if he did think so, I expect that will be played out in the report, and I would put that in the category of things that we can, we can see, but if it's not spelled out there directly, uh, then I don't think that that you're going to that that uh, is something that that is a reasonable possibility. And I will also say that, you know, and I think we can talk a lot with our guests about this. But I will just say that um, there are there are there are things within the realm of possibility of what Barr, you know, maybe not disclosing here. But I think that if the rest of the report was such that Barr was going to be embarrassed by taking the one sentence or two or three out of context, I don't think that, that would be the case. In other words, I think we can expect that there's a lot of evidence here that, that may be damaging to individuals, including potentially uh, the, uh, Donald Trump, that um, is in there despite that conclusion. And that is not unusual, just so everyone understands. Prosecutors all the time are faced with conduct that they find wrongful, that they find abhorrent, I mean, the, the, literally the worst case that I ever had, the worst conduct that I ever had, where people were being cheated out of their homes and their life savings, 
I could not prosecute because I had not insufficient evidence. That happens. But um, but that, you know, that doesn't change necessarily the underlying conclusion. What what I, I think that may be present. I don't know one way or the other. But what won't be there, I think, is Mueller saying, well, here's a temporary conclusion. But there's some other case that may totally change this conclusion that's still ongoing right. and will get wrapped up in six months. I don't see that. Well, happening. that's a problem a lot of people had when Comey came out and made that proclamation about Hillary Clinton and that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. she did things that were inappropriate, but not necessarily prosecutable, you know, prosecutable <clears throat> and, you know, kind of shared his opinions on how she had acted professionally or unprofessionally. Yeah, I, I think what happened there was um, Comey said, you know, this is over and we've made our decision. And then he was worried that what was going to happen is after the election, there would some be some email out that could bear on something and that he would look like he hid something. I think he was, uh, that's what he was trying to accomplish. I wouldn't hold Comey up as an example of what prosecutors or the Justice Department should have been doing. He's been roundly criticized for Uh what he did. So I think what I think what I would say for Mueller is I think he felt he felt like uh, and I don't know what exactly was in his mind, but I suspect that he felt that he that getting this report out there in this form was in the public interest, that it was unlikely to change. Now, it doesn't cover everything. In other words, I carefully chose my my words when I wrote the intro here. I talked about how he said that there was no con- that according to Barr that, that he found there was not sufficient evidence to prove a conspiracy with the Russian government or members of the Russian government or or I think agents of the Russian government. I don't remember the exact word, but he didn't say anything about individual Russians or former uh, Russian government officials. I don't know what the report's going to say about it because I've read the same thing you guys did, which is four pages from Barr in which there's just a few very, you know, selective quotes from the Mueller report. So, um, you know, I think there there's a lot of questions going forward. But one thing I will just say to all of you is that I think I want all I think we should all approach this from a perspective of trying to understand what happened with trying to get to the bottom of this for the sake of our country and understanding what happened, but that we should we should have reasonable expectations about what is going to be contained in the report. In other words, I, I am very critical of uh, Bill Barr's uh, letter and his decision-making within it on, on obstruction of justice, and I wrote a piece in Politico magazine. It's like my premier column for them, right? I'm now I'm, a col- I'm more of a regular columnist for Congratulations. them. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Well done. Thanks. Uh, but I, I, you know, I went, went in that column, I, I very harshly um, described his decision and, and we can talk more about that. But um, that doesn't I, I would not expect that, you know, when Barr says something in that letter that I think there'll be a lot of context that may be bad. But um, you, one would think uh, that he would not put himself out there so much that you know the principal conclusions that he quoted are wrong or the words that he quoted from Mueller are not the actual words in the report i would be very surprised if there are quotation marks uh, around words that don't actually incur, you know don't actually exist within the Mueller report and i think what smarts for a lot of people is that now you know trump and all of his allies are mm-hmm. using this they're swinging it like a bat you know, as a way to criticize and to really squash opponents now and say, look, you know, we've been the victims of this witch hunt and this illegal investigation. Well, I think, you know, uh, here's the thing. I mean, Trump, I think, 
has it, Trump and his allies have some um, uh, they, they there's some justification in them saying, look, we were we you know, w there, this conclusion was favorable to us. He did. There was not a conclusion that he violated the law. I appreciate that people are saying, look, that's a low bar. That's not what we should expect from the president. That's all true. And I am a harsh critic of Donald Trump's. OK, but uh, whenever anybody is the subject of a federal criminal investigation, there is no doubt that they are um, going to pop a champagne cork when they find that the prosecutor is not going to charge them. Right. Sure, some vindication. I would yeah. think they feel vindicated to an extent. Right. Now, that doesn't mean they're completely blameless or exonerated, I think, to use the, the term that Mueller, you know, used um, in the report, according to Bill right. Barr. OK, but that that does mean that, um, you know, they can have a, a moment of celebration. Now, um, I will say, though, that, you know, part of what happened here is I do believe and I think I wrote a piece and it was a Time magazine a couple months ago or a month and a half ago about this, that the 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 discussion that had turned this into a, a referendum on quote unquote collusion i think set this up for trump in other words trump kept saying no collusion no collusion no collusion and the answer from the his critics from people more on my side of the aisle was yes collusion we're going to prove it and what that meant was the entire report became a referendum on co collusion when really the, the, uh, based on public evidence, the more uh, obvious crime that had been committed was obstruction of justice. And it was very unlikely that prosecutors were going to be able to put enough evidence to prove a criminal conspiracy. I appreciate that there were, unfortunately, legal supposed analysts and commentators out there commenting otherwise. And I, some of whom I respect, um, um, some maybe not. Uh, but name names. Uh, no, we're not doing I that. Know. But. The, the point is just that, unfortunately, that fed into something that, uh, you know, he, he this is this these conclusions are a harsh rebuke, a harsh rebuke to some critics who were uh, predicting or at times saying it was rather inevitable that there would be, you know, a, a, a criminal conspiracy that was proven. Yeah, they were counting on it, clearly. But uh, it's oh. hard. You start getting that mental state and, and you and you, you watch the news cycle and, and, and then all the, the indictments. I think a lot of people were like, well, look, you know, people are lying under oath they're covering up something. There has to be some there there. Well, there, you know, certainly I will just say, regardless of criminal uh, proof or not, there was some there there in the sense that there was some very uh, shameful activity. Uh, I, you know. Donald Trump Jr. may have wanted to hide the fact, for example, that he w was so eager to get help from the Russian government. I mean, that alone should be embarrassing to the man, um, regardless of whether or not sure. uh, it was criminal. <laughs> that implies uh, they had shame. Reasonable doubt. You're adorable. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but, you know, there, th that if I was his lawyer, that might be the way I'd go with that. In right. other words, look, yeah, you lied because it was embarrassing. Right. All right. I think it's I think we got to bring in our guest who's yes. absolutely fantastic. Uh, we she is a uh, a uh, a frequent guest here on our on uh, this podcast. Barb McQuaid, who is the former uh, United States attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan under President Obama. She's also an MSNBC legal analyst. You, you see her uh, most days on MSNBC. And she's also somebody who I think is careful and grounded. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about her. Welcome back to the podcast, Barb. Thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, thanks, Renato. Glad to be with you. 
Well, I've got to say, Barb, you know, this is a, a obviously a story that both of us have, you know, uh, provided analysis on for quite some time. Uh, this was obviously a very expected, uh, you know, kind of anticipated event. It was um, in, you know, in some ways, I feel like we don't have a complete answer yet. And I, I wonder just as a, at a top level what your reaction was to uh, seeing that uh, short letter from uh, Attorney General Barr. Well, it makes me want to know more, of course. It is a short letter that, uh, as he said, the principal conclusions of Robert Mueller are included there. But uh, we've also heard reports that Robert Mueller issued a comprehensive report. So, I'm, you know, like everyone else, I suppose, dying to see the whole thing. But I suppose uh, one big picture thought that I had is, one, I'm glad that uh, a special counsel was appointed I'm glad that he wasn't fired. He was allowed to complete his work. And it also stated the Friday letter that Robert Mueller had never been overruled when he proposed some sort of action, as the attorney general could do and then would have to report. So I was gratified by those things. There was then the conclusion that Robert Mueller was not able to establish that President Trump conspired with Russia to interfere with the election. And I want to talk in a minute about how that has been, I think, misreported a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, of course, which really struck me as odd, was that Robert Mueller did not reach any conclusion with regard to obstruction of justice, but William Barr did. Both Both aspects of that is surprising, that Robert Mueller did not, and that William Barr who is part of the executive branch chain of command, Mm -hmm. jumped and said, but I will, and I find there is none. So all of those things leave me wanting a little more information. Yeah, I thought very, I I think those are all great points. And I guess one thing that I'm, I, and I, by the way, I agree with all of those things, although I'm very interested to hear what your thoughts are regarding that conclusion um, that, uh, that supposedly is quoted from the report by Barr that, um, that uh, Mueller was not able to establish a criminal conspiracy between, I believe it was something like members or officials within the Trump campaign and the Russian government. Was that I think was the wording, something like that. Yeah, and and that is interesting too that it's limited to government. It doesn't talk about other officials. But the part that um, I I, I want to mm-hmm. clarify is the way this is being reported by Trump and by members of the public and uh, members of the media, and I think you have to be careful not to overstate it that way, which is is that Mueller found that there was no collusion. That is not what Mueller found. Mueller was not able to establish a conspiracy. And those are two very different things, which makes me want to see what he did find in the the full report. You know, um, just to give you an example, um, sometimes my father-in-law is not able to find his car in the parking lot. That doesn't mean the car is not in the parking lot. It just means he's not able to find it. <laughs> now, in defense of Robert Mueller, he's probably a much better investigator than my father-in-law. And he had a lot of help and a lot of time to look for what he was looking for and did not establish that there was a conspiracy, which is you know, a legal term. That means an agreement with an overt act. And so I, I take it, and that's a significant finding, and that's a very important part of the report. But those are two very different things. And I would like to see all the facts that Robert Mueller did find with regard to connections between Trump and Russia and what communications there were, um, what context there were with people who weren't within the Russian government but were other Russian officials. I think all of that information is very important 
for the public to see because, uh, you know, democracy requires an informed electorate. And even if it did not legally amount to the crime of conspiracy, I still want to know what facts there are about connections with Russia so that we can have good information about President Trump. You know, it's very interesting, uh, Barb, to hear you say that. I mean, one thing that I think is very unhelpful here is that the the media um, and the public really view this through the lens of whether or not there would be proof of collusion. I will tell you, you know, I've been wor- I have been in analyzing and work, you know, kind of giving my thoughts about this matter ever since Comey was fired. And early on, I kept telling people constantly, collusion is not a legal term. It means nothing to me. I can't tell you anything about collusion. And, you know, I tried very hard to push against that, and I was completely unsuccessful. <laughs> Obviously, I— No, I? I know you did. I know you've been uh, preaching that for a long time. Yeah, and, and the bottom line is, of course Mueller wasn't trying to find that. And so for people—but I will say— you know, to me, it's uh, one thing that I find frustrating, though, I would say it is now everyone's like, well, yeah, he didn't find proof of conspiracy. But what about collusion? Well, collusion is something you guys all made up. So I, to me, it's almost yeah. kind of an unfair. It's kind of an unfair thing now to be saying, like, what, what does that even mean, Barb? I don't know what, what collusion means, really. No, I, I, I agree with you that it's not really a very helpful term. And, you know, the origin of it actually came from Rod Rosenstein. I, I don't know if you've ever looked at that. Um, memo that um, got filed in some of the Manafort litigation where Manafort was challenging the constitutionality of the appointment of Robert Mueller. And we saw sort of an expanded list of the matters that uh, Robert Mueller was supposed to investigate. And he used the word collusion in that document. And so maybe that's where it came from. But I agree with you. I think it was sort of um, a simple word that would encompass this whole concept of really conspiracy with Russia to interfere with the election. But I guess it's fewer syllables than that. Yeah, I see. The, here's the thing. You know, I, I for a long time was trying to push back with people. I mean, I had some tweets. I'm like, is this collusion? I remember, for example, when Manafort and Klimnik got charged conspiring with each other to obstruct just and justice. I'm like, is that collusion? What do you guys even mean by collusion? And what it came down to is what you said. But to me, that's almost a higher bar than conspiracy. In other words, you could have a criminal conspiracy with the Russian government to do something very narrow. But what that's almost suggesting is if that seems to be what people thought collusion was, was this criminal conspiracy with the Russian government to influence the election in some way. To me, that was such a high bar. I've written multiple pieces talking about how I never thought that I thought that was a very unrealistic thing to expect Mueller to prove. To me, if that's the bar, uh, we should not be surprised that Mueller didn't clear it. But at the same time, you know, um, we we all it also seems to me that the fact that the the, the public or the president uh, are making a big deal about not clearing it seems to me to, to unfortunately be because that was the way the discussion has been framed for better or for worse. Yeah, and uh, and that's why I think seeing Robert Mueller's full report would be very useful to the public. And you know, we can talk about that. Some of the reasons we may not see. All of it. I think we're going to see at least more of it. That's what William Barr promises. But it would be useful, I think, for the public to see what the facts are, even right. if they didn't not amount to the crime of conspiracy as a matter of law. Were there nonetheless uh, some you know, shady activity that went on that the public ought to know about? You know, we know about at least some snippets of reports of a meeting in Trump Tower to talk about getting dirt on Hillary Clinton. 
well, maybe that doesn't amount to conspiracy, but it still uh, kind of makes you feel not so great about those conversations. What, you know, what else happened so that the public can, I think, draw its own opinions about how they regard this president and this presidency? Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. I mean, the way I try to look at this is, I mean, what we had is a counterintelligence investigation that was looking at links and or coordination. That was what was in the original memo. The, the one you talked about kind of was a, it's a private memo that came later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all, we only seen a small part of it. And right. that's a counterintelligence concept, links and or coordination. And that's problematic and concerning to every American, whether or not there are links and or, and or coordination with a presidential campaign or associates of it. And that we should all be concerned about as Americans. That's to me separate and apart from the criminal law issues about various crimes that could arise of, over the course of that. You know, and and we've heard, we've learned about some of them. And then there's others that apparently they may have been unable to establish. Yeah. And I think the other thing that, um, you know, this obstruction conclusion, non-conclusion uh, kind of begs the question about, to what extent did uh, Mueller and Barr base their decision on this idea that a sitting president cannot be indicted? Um, and so all this information, even if it does not amount to a violation of the essential elements of a statute in the criminal code, is it nonetheless information that Congress should have to make a decision about whether it's an impeachable offense? And so I, I think, um, you know, this non-decision on obstruction, when, when Robert Mueller declined to reach a decision, was that because he thought it was not within his purview to make a charging decision? Did he expect William Barr to jump in and say, then I will? Or did, or did he intend to defer to Congress on that decision? And so, um, again, I think we just need to see the full report so that we can have a little more window into the reasons for that kind of non-recommendation. Yeah, I, I will say, Barb, I think that, you know, for, I, it's not in my experience ever as a, as a former prosecutor to have to not come to a decision. But obviously, I never had a case in which the weight, weight of the world was on my shoulders the way it was for for Robert Mueller. I feel like it's understandable why he may not have wanted wanted to, to bear the, the that burden himself. I mean, do you think that may have been the, 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 the call here? He's just being cautious because he thought this would ultimately end up in Congress's hands anyway, so he just he wanted to just lay out the facts and let them make the call? Yeah, I don't know, but you just said something really important, I think, that maybe um, listeners don't all appreciate, which is similarly, I have never seen a case where the prosecutor just says, well, here are all the facts on both sides, and I'm just going to leave it up to someone at a higher level to make the decision. I don't know which way to recommend. This is beyond my pay grade. That's not how I've ever seen it work. Maybe it has at some point in history, but I've never, and and again, this is a very unusual scenario, but ordinarily, even when a a U.S. attorney is involved in a very high-profile case, what he or she typically does is make a recommendation to the attorney general and says, we've investigated this case, We'd like to go forward. We propose filing charges. Here's what we propose. Or we propose a declination. Here's what we propose. And then it's for the attorney general or whoever the decision maker is to approve or or reject that recommendation. It is never the case that I've ever seen that they say, here are the facts both ways. You make the call, boss. Um, That's just not how it's done. And I think in this case, while it's unusual, I think it's an even stronger case 
to not defer to the boss to make the decision because the whole purpose of having a special counsel appointed was to insulate him from the normal executive branch chain of command to ensure that the public had confidence that this decision was not based on politics. And so it just seems so odd to me that Robert Mueller would not at least make a recommendation. And so it does suggest to me, as you say, it may be because he was contemplating that this was not a matter that was for the executive branch, but was instead for Congress as a matter of impeachment. Right. I, I think that's right. I mean, From my perspective, look, I if I was Robert Mueller, I would have made some sort of you know, recommendation or decision, however you want to phrase it, of what I concluded, Mm -hmm. because I would think, look, I am a prosecutor looking at this, knowing the evidence, having, you know, see maybe sat in at some of these interviews and looking at the evidence myself. I'm going to be better able to make this judgment than a random House member might, for example, um, who's not Mm -hmm. a trained prosecutor. Okay, but even if I, you know, even I could imagine someone uh, particularly somebody who's as careful and thoughtful as Mr. Mueller deciding, look, I just think that the, there are some really challenging questions here. Uh, you know, reasonable minds can differ. And I mm-hmm. think if the House of Representatives has to make this call, eventually let them make the call. Um, and while I don't um, while I wouldn't have made the same decision, I respect that uh, that point of view. What I I find very unlikely, uh, but it's possible, is that he contemplated handing this off to a man who had already expressed views on the issue before he became attorney general and I think was widely perceived to be biased on that issue. Um, Now, I will say that I think Barr doing this is a savvy partisan political move because it sets expectations. In other words, you know, both of us, I'm sure, remember the election of 2000. And I think that if on the uh, election day, if it said Gore is the president and elect instead of Bush, you know, it would have set expectations differently if Bush was the one trying to get, you know, overturn a decision versus Gore. And mm-hmm. I think he, here Boris set the put as, as the, you know, the starting point. There's no obstruction here. And so now, later on, finding, oh, Mueller actually didn't quite say that, and it's not cool. The, the evidence actually looks pretty damaging. Um, I think uh, it, it's, it, it makes it harder. In fact, what we've seen already is multiple Republican senators like Susan Collins and Mitt Romney already saying, yeah, there's nothing there on obstruction. And that's a really interesting point. You know, it's a lot like um, anybody who watches uh, football, NFL football, knows that a call that was made on the field does not get overturned unless there's what's clear and convincing evidence or something, right? There is a presumption that the status quo will remain in place. And so um, it it may be that even if William Barr thinks that Congress is going to take its own look at this, that uh, he has now sort of set the stage that it's going to take a lot more for them to kind of overrule his uh, his decision that's already been made. That's a really um, interesting way of looking at it that I hadn't thought about. But I think I think you may be right about that. Now, I, I will give him, um, you know, some, some good faith benefit of the doubt that I'll bet this is what he believes. You know, he um, wrote that 19-page memo to the Department of Justice before he was the attorney general unsolicited to share his opinion that a president cannot obstruct justice when he exercises some constitutional power. The only way he could obstruct justice is by destroying evidence or threatening a witness, but by merely firing Jim Comey as the FBI director, 
um, by merely um, asking Comey to let this investigation against Flynn go. Those kinds of things, even if he did them as a matter of law, cannot amount to obstruction of justice because he has the constitutional authority to do that. There are you know, others who disagree with that, including me, that says that any power that is abused can still be considered um, a violation of the law. Um, and if he, if he had done so corruptly to end a legitimate investigation, then I think that's a basis for obstruction of justice. But nonetheless, William Barr made that known. He talked about it at his confirmation hearing. And it may be that that's what he found here with regard to obstruction of justice, that even though he did all these things, uh, it's impossible for him to obstruct justice because he's the president. And so I want to know that, too. Was that the basis? Yeah. So I think that really is a great segue to, um, uh, I think, a very important discussion for you and me to have, which is based upon the four corners of what Barr said, you know, how can we understand his reasoning on obstruction of justice? And that, I think that's very interesting. It's something I grappled with when I wrote that column the day that uh, the, the letter was released. And uh, here's what I what I would say there. First of all, he says that there are difficult issues of law and fact. OK, that's the first thing. This the one that you just mm -hmm. identified, Barb, I think is potentially what he may have had in mind is a difficult question of law. But there are separately in his mm -hmm. mind difficult issues of fact. Um, and then he, he claimed he he lists only one factor that I that I recall uh, that he you know named explicitly as as weighing in in favor of that conclusion, which was that there was no conclusion as to an under as to a specific underlying crime, specifically the co conspiracy count. Although we yeah. move back to that, yeah, I think that's flawed. Then he says, this, not, "My view about the president." He explicitly says he tries to like. Box out your what you just said by saying that my view about uh, the president not being able to obstruct justice in this manner has nothing to do with this, which I don't know if anyone actually believes, but he tries to say that. Yeah, and um, I think what he says is he footnotes the OLC opinion about not not indicting a sitting president, and so oh. I think those are are two different things. Oh, right. So he talks about one. Well, yeah. So he says this this matter about whether you can indict a sitting president um, is not part of our consideration. But, um, you know, this his, his sort of broad view of executive power, I wonder how that relates um, to that question. But oh. you raised something interesting there that I had, that I had overlooked. Um, you know, I, I looked at questions of law, you know, difficult questions of law that I took to mean that, his interpretation of executive power. He also references difficult questions of fact. I wonder what that is. And I, again, another reason why I think we need to see the full Mueller report. Are there factual disputes about what happened? Did Robert Mueller reach firm conclusions about the facts? Were there, you know, um, President Trump has denied that he uh, asked Jim Comey to let it go with, with Michael Flynn. Did he make a finding about that as to which version of the facts he believes happened? Or does he think it would be unseemly to reveal to the public that they think President Trump lied. I, I'd be curious what he thinks about the facts, not as well as the law. Yeah, I mean, uh, what I would say with that, uh, Barb, you know, what, what my kind of theory of what that might be is that, you know, for example, Trump, Trump's defense almost certainly would be that he genuinely believed 
that Comey was awful and because in part because there was nothing to the the Russia investigation and yet Comey was pushing forward forward with it anyway. Now I appreciate mm-hmm. I appreciate that 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 that's not that does that that does not mean that the president should obstruct justice but of course that ties mm-hmm. into the fact that he's the president of the United States he oversees that and if there was ultimately a conclusion that nothing could be proven then that may feed into you know him being able to say well yeah i knew that comey was pushing forward a groundless investigation and so i thought as president i could save us all a lot of time and resources and my and the public a lot of headache by just derailing this and saying look that never happened let's stop wasting our time and his intent was because he thought that was a groundless investigation that's possibly where they're going with that. I mean, that's at least something that possibly, you know, w- would occur to me if I was on the other side trying to defend Trump in this scenario. Yeah, and I think that's an important point because people are either, I don't know, deliberately reading what they want to read or missing um, the point of what Barr said there, where um, he is not saying that because no underlying crime of conspiracy in this case was proven that means you cannot obstruct justice. He says just the opposite, in fact. The mm-hmm. fact that there was no conspiracy found is not dispositive with regard to obstruction of justice, as you have just said. And, and some people are, are maligning him for that. But what he does say is because there was no underlying crime, though, it could be pertinent to the question of his intent to obstruct justice. You have to show that a person had a corrupt intent, and that there was an ongoing proceeding. And so if uh, there was no intent to uh, derail a legitimate investigation, and he knew that the Trump-Russia collusion story was groundless, then you know that is relevant to deciding whether he had a corrupt intent in asking Comey to stand down. So I thought he, he framed that properly, but I think it's getting... Um, misanalyzed a little bit maybe by uh, people who are reading into it what they want to read into it. Well, I will say part of the challenge, Barb, is uh, explaining this in a pithy way, in in a short way, right? In other words, when I wrote the column Mm -hmm. about Barr, I had to explain... I had to explain in basically a paragraph or two what was problematic about that reasoning. And I think if I was going to spend 500 words or a thousand words expounding on it, yeah. we can do that here. What I would say is he, he, Barr did not provide anything amounting to a real legal analysis of why he came to that conclusion. Nothing even close to what, what one would expect for a decision of that import. But he only and he only listed one factor. And to me, if that's the best factor you have, that's a problem because it's a a fairly, Mm -hmm. to me, fraught factor and and it's a fairly thin read. Now, what I would say is um, that it may in in context and I tried to give it some context that might be helpful to him. And and if, if that really is what he's trying to say, he may have been able to do so in a more fulsome way or any more artful way. But essentially what his, if you just take it on face value, what he says is like, well, the underlying conclusion was that there was no crime there. And so therefore that, that weighs in, in, in favor that may have, um, you know, that, that goes to his state of mind and meant that he was not, um, 
you know, he, he didn't have that intent because he knew all along that there was nothing there. The problem is, for example, part of what he's saying with the let it go thing that you mentioned is to let Flynn go. And we know Flynn, you know, at least committed some crime, obviously was lying to the yeah. FBI. So uh, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, you know, for me, I had to try to encapsulate that in four sentences. In a, in a, so I don't know how I, I don't even remember how our, how I did so. But I do think um, I do think that that Barr has some explaining to do about that. Um, but you know, there, there likely is some challenging factual issue there. No, you're right. And I think his explanation so far is not perfectly satisfying. Now, you know, in his defense, I'm sure he was trying to get this thing out over the weekend. I'm sure he set, he set up a lot of pressure for himself by sending that letter to Congress Friday night and saying, I plan to brief you as soon as this weekend. Um, I don't think he was going to blow his own deadline of this weekend. He thought he could get it done in part, no doubt, because he was receiving regular briefings from Mueller and his team, and that was not the first time he heard what their conclusions were going to be. But I do think it's worthwhile to get a better analysis uh, of why he concluded that there was no uh, chargeable offense for obstruction of justice. We really only did about a paragraph on all of that. And as you say, um, he doesn't address uh, the Flynn investigation per se, which is a great point. Um, even if he thought the so-called collusion conspiracy charge was baseless, uh, he knew by then that Michael Flynn had lied to the FBI. And so that is uh, a significant crime that he may have been attempting to cover up. So I don't think it's satisfying to just hear that, well, there was no provable case of conspiracy. So therefore, no provable case of obstruction. Uh, it's enough that he tried, if he tried, and I think the public deserves more answers about William Barr's analysis on that question. And one of the questions that's coming up quite a bit is, if Mueller believes that Barr is man- manipulating the report, does he have a path to approach Congress to correct that? Is there any legality to boy, Boy, I don't know. That's a really great question. So what if Mueller is sitting there thinking, I can't believe you just did that. I meant for Congress to have that question. And here you are, Barr, jumping in and taking it for yourself. You know, as a uh, as a good soldier that he is, I don't know that he would volunteer that information. If he were subpoenaed to testify, it could be protected by executive privilege as part of the deliberative process or even um, – just the president's not involved, so not presidential communications, but the deliberative process privilege is just a subset of executive privilege. Um, but I think that's the kind of thing where, uh, you know, the, the full parameters of executive privilege are not known. And we could see a court fight on that if Robert Mueller wanted to talk about it. Um, you know, would he hold a press conference tomorrow to say that's not what I found? Doesn't seem like uh, his character or his style of work, uh, but I suppose if he were so outraged that um, illegal Barr had acted illegally here, I, I guess he could say it, but he does not have a clear path for doing it. What do yeah. you think, Renato? Yeah, I think what he would do, I think what would happen, Barr, you know, if if he intended this for this to go to Congress and Barr did this, my, th- my thought is Mueller's going to say nothing. When and if he gets called by Congress... Uh, to testify, yeah. he's going to say, well, my my thought was to leave this to the American people. Um, I, I 
it's clear in the full text of the report that that's what what, what I intended. Uh, but Barr certainly had the authority to do this. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, he could, you know, he's the attorney general. He can render whatever legal opinions that he wants to do. Can you imagine the House not calling Mueller? This seems like it would be no, at the top of their list. I can't. Yeah. I mean, one thing. Yeah, so that, I, I agree with you, Patty. Yeah, and, and I think that really is a good segue to a kind of a, another big topic that I'd like to discuss with you, uh, Barb, which is, you know, everyone is focused on the disclosure of the report right now. <laughs> There's a lot of discussion there. And uh, about that. And, you know, one one view I disagree with and I think everyone who's listened to the podcast knows is this this notion that, oh, the full report will just be made to the public and uh, existing law permits that there's a lot of complicated uh, issues like uh, grand jury matters, uh, excuse me, grand jury material and classified material that would prevent that. Um, so let's just talk about from your perspective, Barb, how do you see this fight over disclosure of the report playing out? Yeah, it's hard to say without knowing what it looks like. Um, you know, I had expected that Robert Mueller, full well knowing that the public is going to want to see this thing, would have written it in a way so that parts of it could be public, you know, with an um, executive summary and then a classified addendum or an addendum that contains the grand jury information or something like that so that, uh, you know, William Barr and other decision makers, other, other people, high-level people at DOJ could read it. There'd be a permanent record of what the full report said. <laughs> But you could quite easily and quickly say, and here's the public version. Um, I'm surprised that Barr's letter says we're going to spend the next few days carefully going over and sort of scrubbing this for grand jury material. How could you not have done that already? It struck me as um, either not thinking this through or wanting to build in a little bit of delay time once uh, once it was public. But uh, no doubt there is certain material that probably cannot be disclosed to the public. Uh, there's grand jury testimony, grand jury uh, records, um, any classified information that they obtain to the intelligence community. But as you know, there are many ways that you can deal with that. You can frame things in the passive voice. You can use redactions to remove uh, references to materials. Um, you can write it in such a way that is a high-level summary that remove specific references to grand jury testimony. So I think there are ways to get more of the report in public. I guess I, I don't know what the percentage would be, but I also believe that some of it will probably likely remain sealed from the public uh, forever. Yeah, I, I suspect that there is more here going on, too. I, I think you're you're right, Barb, that I'm surprised that the, that these issues of redaction weren't kind of resolved in the front end. Um, and, you know, if if I was Attorney General Barr, you know, look, knowing that the weight of history is upon me here, I'm this is a historical investigation and I'm you know, the, the public is eagerly anticipating this. I would have been trying to include in that letter a lot of block quotes from the report as much of the you know, uh -huh. as much as I could from the report. And I would be rolling it out. I mean, you know, as much as possible, you know, here's. 10 pages that, you know, you were whatever, you know, here's as much as I can give you right now and so on and so forth. I, it seemed to me, you know, Sarah Sanders referred to executive privilege and how they were going to fight to protect the office of the presidency. I wonder if that's what's going on here. And I have to say, I think that that is very weak claim, uh, the executive privilege claim. And I think 
it's a it's a weird fight for them to have. I don't know if they want it, you know for for whatever reason politically maybe they want to have that fight. But you know it, Gerald Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, my understanding is he subpoenaed the report with a due date of April second, the full report. And it seems to me if one human being in America uh, deserves to see the full report, it's that guy because his his committee is the one that would be investigating articles of impeachment, and he presumably should be mm-hmm. able to see the results of an investigation into potential wrongdoing by the by the president of the United States. So I don't know how I don't see how you could possibly have a, a viable executive privilege claim uh, as to that guy. Um, so I'm curious what your yeah, thoughts I, are. I, I agree with you. And I also think the intelligence committees, you know, to the extent that there is any classified material, the intelligence committees were created along with FISA to say, uh, you know, there needs to be oversight on uh, the executive branch's work when it comes to classified material. And so the intelligence committees exist so that they can oversee that work. So I would include them in that. And uh, even as to grand jury material, um, I think that uh, permitting uh Jerry Nadler to see that, his committee to see that, um, I think you could maybe make an argument even under 6E that they are federal officials looking at it in the scope of their prosecutorial decision-making authority since they have the authority to uh, instigate impeachment proceedings. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that Nadler and company, even if the public doesn't get to see it, Nadler and his committee uh, probably will prevail in, in getting to see it. Yeah, I just can't imagine, like, you know, you're saying either you're going to take a look at that rule and fit them into the rule or you're going to say as applied to them, the rule is unconstitutional because there's no way a rule can prevent the House Judiciary Committee mm-hmm. from being able to to carry out its its law, its constitutional function and a pretty important mm-hmm. one at that. So, um, yeah, I have to say um, I don't completely understand the strategy there. I do think that it's useful. I think expectations of I in the sense of release the full report immediately are silly. I didn't expect that to happen, but I do uh, think it's in everyone's best interest. Uh, and, and that includes Republicans, Democrats, I think, for from the perspective of history to have as much of this thing out there as possible, because otherwise any piece that's redacted unless elected leaders on both parties saw it and are all like, yeah, this is something that's a secret that we can't let the world know because it'll 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 undermine our national security unless something like that happens. Uh, I think there'll be th- theories and and speculation that'll go on for for many years and decades to come. Yeah, and you know, our, our country is founded on the idea that um, information yearns to be free, that a, an informed electorate is essential to a democracy. And so I think there is a push for it. You know, there are uh, limitations to what can be disclosed, but the Department of Justice itself has guidance on what it discloses to, to Congress. Um, there is a, uh, a letter from 2000 that uh, someone at DOJ prepared that kind of lays it all out. And their default position is to disclose to Congress all information um, that is limited by some of those things we've discussed, like executive privilege, uh, classified information, privacy rights of individuals. There are a few things that can be held back, but you have to be able to articulate with regard to each piece of information, what is the basis for withholding it? Because the default is that it should be turned over to Congress. And so I'm hopeful that much of it, if not all of it, will be turned over to Congress um, and that they can act in, in on behalf of the people is serving as a watchdog in in their oversight role. Yeah, I um 
I, I have to say, I think that will this will eventually get itself worked out. But in the meantime, the goalposts or or so or however you want to look at it have been set. I think that there is definitely a debate now about whether or not the, the, we should move on. And you know, I will say private that I've privately had lawmakers ask me what what their what my thoughts are about you know whether or not we should be you know pushing for disclosure and how and what. And, you know, from my perspective, um, from the perspective for for the sake of our nation and 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 history, we need this out so that people know what happened. People know what Mueller found. I think it's an important thing. And it's not about winning some political whatever. I, I was always skeptical, frankly, that you would find 20 Republican senators who would want to remove Donald Trump from office in any event. But I which is what would be necessary for that to happen. But I think that um, what is important for the perspective of our nation is that everyone feels like th this is a matter that's been properly investigated and that they can, um, you know, they can feel confident about the results. Yeah, what's interesting about it is I feel, you know, the, the, obviously the biggest question here was the conspiracy with Russia. And I feel pretty satisfied with Robert Mueller's opinion on that. You know, I, I have confidence that he... He looked. He looked hard. He didn't find anything. Okay, you know, there's a lot of, you know, questions I still have about that. You know, if there's nothing there, why did, why did Michael Flynn lie and go to prison for it? Yeah, why did uh, Michael Cohen lie? Uh, but he looked pretty hard. I have confidence in any. In, in that was his conclusion. Um, the end. If Robert Mueller had said, "I find no piece uh, of obstruction of justice." I think I'd be satisfied with that too. But the part that leaves me very unsatisfied is his uh, declination to make a decision. I'm, I'm not going to make a decision here. Uh, and then Barr's jumping in to make that decision. Uh, I would feel a lot more confident if we just uh, saw the report in the absence of his own recommendation. Um, and I'm hopeful that we're going to get there, and I think Congress will certainly demand it. Before we go, I know that we've taken so much of your time, and I appreciate that, that you've always been so gracious with sharing so much of your inf information, your intellect, and perspective. I, I'm wondering, as you mentioned about Mueller's report and what we might be satisfied by, do you think we've learned enough to maybe prevent some of the same things from happening in 2020? Are we in a better position to defend the integrity of our elections after Mueller's investigation? So I, I, I don't know the full scope of that answer. I'd say yes to some extent. I think the public has, who's been paying attention has been educated about the ways that uh, Russia, who is an adversary, tries to use social media as a divisive tool. Um, I'm hopeful that people who were uh, closely following and believing what they read on social media will be more skeptical consumers of what they see on there and realize that not every user is who they purport to be. Uh, I think um, the social media companies have gotten a little bit of comeuppance about it, and I think we're well-positioned or better positioned now, maybe for some legislation on people's data privacy online, knowing uh, how information can be used and abused online. Um, and I guess um, we all should be more cautious in the way we use our email, knowing that it could be hacked and used as a weapon the way it was by Russia. So I think we've all learned some important lessons there. I don't know what else is learned in the uh, you know, intelligence community. I'm sure there's much more that has been learned there about how Russia and possibly other adversaries could use our elections uh, and tamper with them. Um, and I'm hopeful that there are other, other lessons that can be shared with you know, state election officials to prevent 
you know, actual hardware from being interfered with, election results being tampered with. So I think we've learned some things, and we probably have a little more to learn. And I'm hopeful that the Mueller report can be disclosed so that we can maximize our learning opportunity. I agree. Yeah, I, I have to say, you know, there's already some legislation. I know our our the friend of the podcast, Ro Khanna, is, it was just introduced something today on protecting our, you know, having more cybersecurity and and some of that is some of that uh, on some of those issues. I do think that we we need to make sure that if for the sake of the country we're protected from our next uh, attack from a foreign adversary in relation to our elections and, and i got to tell you i am very also very thankful for for your uh, contribution barb thank you so much you're always very grounded and very thoughtful in your approach and i think that is you know a really important and refreshing and it is just fantastic to have an in-depth discussion and analysis with you Thanks, Renato. Always happy to talk with you and Patty, and I always enjoy listening to the podcast. I always learn something from you and your guests. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. (laughs) 